Uh, no, we're, today we're going to talk about a topic that's in line with the Days of Unleavened Bread, in line with the last day of Unleavened Bread. It's a topic that Dr. Meredith has wanted us to focus on. He's wanted us to have a crusade about and a campaign and movement in. And the topic that we're going to talk about, uh, a specific aspect of faith. First, let's turn to John 20. John 20. You probably read this in preparation for the Passover. John verse 20. I'm sorry, chapter 20. Okay, John chapter 20. So here, Jesus had resurrected. He raised from the, uh, the tomb. Verse 2. Mary, when she ran and came to Simon Peter, that he, because he was gone, and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken him away. We don't know where they've taken him. We don't know where they've put him. And Peter came. John came. They looked in. Verse 8. Then the other disciple came to the tomb and went in also, and he saw and believed. And... We turn down to, and then, of course, Mary sees him. She didn't know it was him at first. She realizes, and she says, Rabbani, or that is to say, teacher. In verse 16, verse 20, let's say verse 19. Then the same day at evening, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be with you. Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As God has sent me, I also send you. And he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Kind of preparing them in effect for the day of Pentecost, when they would receive it. And as we read on much of uh, some of what we read on the Passover, was in preparation for the receiving of God's Holy Spirit. I mean, a momentous situation. Momentous situation. The preparation to receive the very nature of God in them. Now we turn, we're going to look at verse 24. Now Thomas, the twin, one of the twelve, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came the first time there. I mean, not the first time, but the time when he met them on that first day of the week. The other disciples there, they, they told him what happened. We've seen the Lord. And Thomas says, unless I see his, his hands, the print of the nails... And put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into into his side where the spear went. I will not believe. I need to see it for myself. I I need to see it in the flesh before I'm going to believe it. You know, honestly, that just uh, that is honestly part of my nature, part of my nature. Maybe not for anybody else, I don't know, but a part of my nature. 
I want to see it with my eyes. See it with my eyes. Verse 26. I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. Verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were inside and Thomas was with them this time. Interesting. After eight days. So, you know, maybe someone knows exactly when this eighth day was. But regardless of the exact day, it was right around the days of unleavened bread. Maybe right after the, you know, a couple days after the last day of unleavened bread. This was on Christ's mind as he came back. Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, stood in the midst of them, said, Peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas, don't be unbelieving. I've told you, I've warned you over and over what was going to happen. Be believing, Thomas. And Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. I believe you now. I believe. And Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's what we're going to talk about today. So in this sermon, we're going to talk about putting out the leavening, the sin of unbelief out of our life. And putting on the unleavened bread of trusting and believing and having faith in God. Then we're going to look at one action step that we can take to grow in faith and prepare for Pentecost. Coming up. So the title of the sermon is Believing Without Seeing. Believing Without. God, you could say, believing God without seeing. First, we're going to talk about why unbelief is sin and one way that we can get rid of it, one way we can fight against it. Next, we're going to talk about putting on belief and trust in God and what the faith of Christ looks like in our lives. What God's faith looks like living in our lives. Then we'll discuss the one action step that we can take before Passover to prepare, I'm sorry, before Pentecost to increase in faith. And finally, we'll wrap it up and bring it all together. So first, why is unbelief sin? Why is unbelief sin? Is it sin? Is it sin to just have trouble 
believing? And if so, why is it? So we're going to read a couple of passages, then we're going to ask an important question. First of all, we can read. We're already there. Uh, Again, we're going to read verse 27 again. And he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and put your hands and reach your hand. uh, uh, I'm sorry. Look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And he said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Verse 30. Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. And later he says, I I couldn't even I could I don't even have the space to write all of the things that had happened. Verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Our life, our eternal life depends on believing God and Christ. And the things that we have in this book are written for us to believe fully and wholeheartedly and to change our life based on it. Let's look at Luke 16. Luke chapter 16. Chapter 16 and verse uh, verse 19 starts out with the, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. And they have both died. And the rich man wants to be not where he's at, which pictures the third resurrection, the lake of fire and eternal death. He wants to be where Lazarus is at, which is the kingdom of God and eternal life. He wants to be there really bad. Imagine. You could see it. It's right in front of you, but you can't have it. It's too late. The opportunity was when he was alive. Our opportunity is right now. Verse 27. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, Lazarus. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They have God's word. Read it and listen. Believe it. It's right there in front of them. It's right in front of them. Verse 30. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if... If one goes to them, they haven't been listening to that. If one goes to them from the dead, then they'll listen. I know they will. Thomas did. He didn't say that. If one comes back from the dead, I know that they'll listen. I know that they'll change and they won't have to be here. And verse 31, 
But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Now, Christ was working very directly with Thomas, but uh, uh, so he was granted mercy and was able to see and able to understand. But if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Our time is now to believe God and believe his word. Our time is now. And you know, in God's church, we are spoon-fed the truth and have been. What a blessing. What a wonderful blessing it is to have the truth to be able to come to services in peace every single Sabbath, to be able to take off work easily, maybe not so easily. But right now there isn't any brutality, there isn't any, you know, there aren't any major, major problems, as we know that there will be. And we have a wonderful opportunity to learn God's truth now. And believe it with our whole hearts now. And we'll get into what believing it with our whole hearts means. It is easy to say, yes, of course I believe. Of course I believe. But of course that's, you know, it involves an entire, you know, our entire way of life. Why is believing without seeing, so critical for eternal life? Why is it so critical for eternal life? Why is it so important that we believe without seeing? Why is it blessed is he who believes, though he hasn't seen? That's what he told Thomas. We're developing right now a mutual relationship of trust with God. Yes, we're leaning on Him. We're putting our trust in Him. But He needs to know. He's about, He will give us eternal life, a part of His very family, ruling over nations, ruling over cities, possibly in the future, ruling over entire planets, universes, whatever, I mean, you know, uh, galaxies. He needs to know and trust us that we will do what He wants us to do no matter what. Even when what we can see doesn't look like it's the best way. Knowing God says this, God says don't work on the Sabbath. But boy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my job if I don't. God says, trust me in this. But that's so hard. Tithing or whatever it is. It's so hard. I'm not going to have enough to pay the bills. I'm not going to have enough. You we can't see that it will work out. We have to trust God that it will work out. In a lot of ways, some of those things are counterintuitive in, in some ways. 
against our nature. But it is God's nature. He needs to know that we'll trust Him, that we will do what He says, even when we can't see it. No matter what, we will do what God says. You know, so as many of you know, I was a... uh, I worked for a wonderful company for several years. I had uh, several employees that worked, you know, that I was able to serve and help. And sometimes they would call and they would have a problem. They would have some technical issue. And they would tell me about it. And I say, you know, that we're on the phone, let's say. They would explain it to me. I say, yes, what you're telling me sounds like the solution would be why. It sounds like the solution would be why. I understand. What you're telling me sounds like your suggestion is the solution. But I'm telling you that that is not the solution. To fix this problem, you need to do this. X. You need to do this. And they would sometimes argue with me because it's right in front of them. They know the answer. It's so clear. It's so clear what the answer is. And how could I possibly know better? I'm not even there. I can't even see what they're looking at. And when they did this, the next thing I got was a text saying, I can't believe it. (laughs) That fixed the problem. How could you know that? Well, it's because I've done it before. (laughs) Lots of times. And you haven't. That's why. The same thing with God and us. He created us, made us. He knows what is absolutely best. He gives us instructions on how to live. There are spiritual laws that we, our, my mind does not wrap around. I, I don't get it. I do not understand how tithing works. I, I, except that I know that it's a spiritual law. I do not understand how you know, giving works, except that it's a spiritual law. I do not understand how doing maybe counterintuitive things work, except they are spiritual laws that, I, that we have to learn to trust God with. Another uh, 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 fun example was uh, one time I was working with uh, a minister... And this is years ago, and he, I was going to make a phone call. And he said, <clears throat> he said, well, I want you to ask this question. And I said, I, you know, I, 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 I can talk to this person. You know, I, I didn't say that, but I, I kind of felt that kind of back of the head, you know. I, know. I know what's going on here. I know how to deal with this situation. And so... He said, well, you need to say this and ask this question. I said, yes, sir, that's fine. And so I did. And after, on the phone, I said, 
Ah, I understand why he had me ask this question. I understand. He knew so much better, so much more than I did. And I learned by doing what what he had instructed. And that's nobody here and and anything like that, so just FYI. (laughs) But it was a good lesson. It was a good lesson for me that I can't see it all the time. I can't see it. Just because I can't see it doesn't mean I shouldn't do it. If he can trust us to follow him against our own judgment, our own carnal judgment, faithless, unbelieving judgment, when we can't see what he sees, then of course he can trust us when it makes sense to us. So the way he needs to test us is by it. When it doesn't fully make sense to us, we need to put our trust and faith and belief in him. Then he can trust us for all of eternity. When we're by ourselves, we don't have his, maybe, maybe we don't have his direct supervision all the time. He will trust us. He will know that we have lived in this life, in the flesh, and we have done, even when we have believed and obeyed, even when it didn't fully make sense to our little minds now. He will trust us. But by not trusting Him, why is it sin? Why is it sin? By not trusting Him, we're trusting in our ways more. We're trusting in ourselves, in our own judgment against his judgment. Of course, we need to make judgments. We need to be discerning. But I'm talking about when it comes down to if our judgment and our choices are different than his word and his choices and his judgment. That is the leavened bread of unbelief. Putting our own thoughts above God. Our own ways, our own judgments above God. Unbelief, let's turn to Proverbs 14 and verse 12. Proverbs 14 and verse 12. I'm sure you know where we're going. Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man. It seems so right. It is so real. It's so in front of us right now. It's got to be good. It's got to be good. It feels good. It makes me feel good inside. I'm not going to lose my job. It's got to be good. But its end is the way of death. God knows his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are better than our ways. God 
knows. And by putting our thoughts above his, I mean, separating that, thinking that is pride. That is self-glorification. We don't think of it that way. I don't think I'm being prideful when I want to do my way and, and, and not really fully obey. But boy, I'm putting myself in front of God. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. He must trust us. He must trust us to obey Him. No matter what. No matter what it looks like to us. Hebrews 11 verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. That's because it's easy to obey when we can see it. When we can see that it's the right thing. When it makes full sense to us that it's the right thing. But it takes faith to obey and surrender when we can't fully see and we don't fully understand to surrender and obey Him. It takes faith. So without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Impossible. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Verse uh, Hebrews 3, Hebrews 3 and verse 12, the sin of unbelief. I say the leavening of unbelief because leavening represents sin. And our unbelief is based most times, if not all times, that I really know better. I really know better. That's why I'm going to make this choice instead of this choice, the choice God wants me to make. Verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest any of you have an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's the point. It's deceitful. It looks good. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it's deceitful. And because we're deceived by it, we may not believe the way we need to. Verse 18. And to whom did he swear that he would not enter, that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. They missed out because of unbelief on the physical promises. But as we've seen, we, we could miss out. Because of unbelief on the spiritual promises. 
And hopefully that's none of us, and, uh, uh, I, but it could be. I mean, very, very well could be. I'm just saying that um, my point is to say that it, it can happen to any of us. And the question, some question might be, to what degree do I not fully trust God? Where in my life am I missing full surrendering trust in God. And that's what we've done this Days of Unleavened Bread, pushed the leavening out and put on Christ, put on truth. And we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Right now we're talking about the sin of unbelief, the leavening of unbelief. So we see why Unbelief is evil and wickedness and sin. Now we're going to look at one main culprit of unbelief and what we can do to get rid of it. So that is doubt. Doubt. Doubt that what God says is real. Doubt that what God says is better than what I think, better than what I feel at the moment. Doubt. Let's turn to uh, Matthew 14. Matthew 14. And we're going to look at. Verse, uh, we might start in 22. So Jesus had his disciples get into a boat. He went away by himself to go pray. And about uh, verse 24, the boat was out in the middle of the sea. Verse 25 the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came. That is about 3 to three to 6 a.m. in the morning. I mean, very likely that he, he may well have been up all night praying. And he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw they walked, uh, him walking on the sea, they were troubled. Oh, it's a ghost. What's going on? They cried out. They were afraid. What's happening? But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, guys. It's me. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Command me to come do it and I'll do it. And he said, come on. Peter climbed down out of the boat. Maybe hanging on the edge and he puts his foot out on the water. And he's standing and he's not dropping. And he's still going, probably slow, probably cautiously. I mean, it was it says the, the winds and the waves were roaring. He trusted. For a moment. He knew who Christ said to do it, and he knew because Christ said to do it, he could do it. 
I could do it because you told me to. I could do it. I'm, I'm, good. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Look at me. Look at me, guys. In the boat. That's kind of a joke. But, but he was doing it. He was walking on the water with Christ. Toward Christ. Looking to Christ. You know, interestingly, some there's some commentaries that say that he was actually on the shoreline that looked like, you know, had water on the shoreline and he was actually on the sand. Wow, look at and, you know, and Jesus is walking same way there. Interesting commentaries. Being as though uh, verse 30, when he saw the wind was boisterous. What's going on? It's the, the wind and the waves are roaring. He was afraid and began to sink into the sand. He took his eyes off of Christ. Christ told him to do it. He trusted. He did it. And very shortly after, doubt crept in. This isn't possible. This isn't possible. How could this hold up? How could this be? This isn't possible. Look at the wind. Look at the waves. This is not. This can't be happening. And maybe it's happening right now. But I, I'm going to sink. This is not possible to happen. And he says, Lord, save me as he was sinking into the water. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he said, oh, oh, why did you doubt? Why such little faith? You had it. You were doing it. You were there. You trusted me. I was I was going to hold you through it. Why did you doubt? Why did you let it come in? Why did you give in to it? I was going to take care. I will take care of you. And I'm merciful. And I pulled you up when you did doubt. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Peter thought that what he saw with the wind and the waves, that he couldn't fulfill the command that Christ gave him. What he saw with the wind and the waves was more real than the command of Jesus Christ. Let's turn to James 1. Again, we're talking about one of the culprits 
of unbelief, causing unbelief. And that is doubt. Okay. Uh, James 1. <clears throat> this is the new scripture. No, I'm just kidding. James 1 and verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Testing of it. Patience, believing God and continuing to believe Him and continuing to surrender to Him. But let patience have its perfect work in you, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Verse 6. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts, interesting analogy that he uses, is like a wave of the sea. Driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in his ways. The one thing Peter didn't have was God's Holy Spirit. We have God's Spirit. And we'll see, and as you know, there was a change in Peter. There was a change. But to what degree do we let doubt slip in? We push it out. Like leavening, we push it out. We get rid of it. And we put on Jesus Christ. We put on belief and trust in God. Doubt kills. Doubt destroys faith. It hurts it. It takes it away. It doesn't let God do what He wants to do with us. Doubt destroys and kills. And we have to kill it. Get rid of it out of our lives. Get rid of doubt out of our lives. Doubt is thinking that we know better than Him. And that we have a better grasp on reality than God. With Peter, the, the, the waves. This can't be happening. I'm walking on the water. This can't be happening. When he took his eyes off of Jesus Christ. And looked at the problems that were around him. And the troubles that were around him. So we have to recognize those thoughts of doubt. And put them out. Out of our heart. Out of our mind. Recognize when we have those doubts. And put them out. So we've looked at the leavening of sin. And the, or the sin of unbelief. I'm sorry. And one way to fight it. That is pushing doubt out. Recognizing it and getting it out of our lives. And now we're going to look at putting on the unleavened bread of trust and faith. Trust and faith in God. Which, you know, during the days of unleavened bread, 
you know, our preparation for the days, preparation for the Passover is putting out leavening, physical leavening out of our homes, and spiritually preparing for that, thinking about our lives, thinking about what's going on, thinking about where our, our shortcomings are, where we sin, where we fall down. So we put on Christ. That's the active thing that we're to be doing during these days. Putting on, developing habits, godlike habits, godly habits in our lives. So we're going to focus on growing in faith and trust in God. Replacing doubt with faith and trust. Focusing on growing in faith. So let's look now. At, we're going to look at what does faith look like in action. What does it look like in action? First, we're going to look at some biblical examples then we're going to look at what it looks like in our personal lives. What it may look like in our personal lives. Let's turn to Acts 3. This is an incredibly inspiring story to me. I mean, this is the faith I want. This is the faith I want to have. This is the faith we all want to have. We need to have in our lives this faith that we're about to look at. So Peter, we saw an example of Peter without God's spirit. Doubting. Losing trust. Not having enough faith. When Christ said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? But now we see a Peter who's been endowed with the Holy Spirit. Verse 1. Now, Peter... And John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer in the ninth hour. And a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask for alms. He's asking for money. He was crippled on the side or whatever at the entrance at one of the gates where people come and go. That's the best place to, you know, ask for money. And he couldn't hold a job because he was crippled. So he's there hoping people can give him money. Verse 3, who seeing Peter and John, he asked them for money. He made eye contact, I'm sure. He put out his hand or whatever he had. Asking for money. And Peter, making eye contact with John, Peter said, look at us. Or Peter saw him, it looks like. Look at us. Look over here. So he gave them his his attention, expecting to receive some, some money from them. And Peter said... With full faith, with full confidence. He had seen Christ. He has his, the, the Holy Spirit now. This is the first major miracle, except for speaking in tongues, that's recorded here. 
after the giving of the Holy Spirit. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, rise up and walk. Just as if he was he knew he had money in his wallet and he was going to give it to him just as sure as the money would get to him. He knew that if he put his hand out, if he called on the name of Jesus Christ to do that, that that man would rise. Full confidence. He had been told. By Christ. That these signs would happen. And he believed it. He believed it 100%. And he did not doubt. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones were received strength. So he leaping up, stood and walked and entered into the temple, walking, leaping and praising God. He believed God fully. And of course, so let's turn to Acts 5 and verse 12. Acts 5, verse 12. And though the hands of the apostle and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done. This is the faith that Dr. Meredith, this faith, believing and trusting in God fully, no holds bar, fully surrendered. This is the faith that Dr. Meredith is asking us to go on a campaign for. To pray for, to fast for, to ask for. Verse 12 of, of Acts chapter 5. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all of one accord in Solomon's porch, and yet none of the rest dare join them. But the people esteemed them highly, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on the beds and couches. We don't have that now. No, we don't. But we're told we will. There will be certain things like this. Laid them on the beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by should fall on some of them. And also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. And they were all healed. This is the faith, the belief, full trust in God that we want in the church of God. And it, it's, doesn't, it's not something we can work up. It's something that will take learning in our lives and gifts given by God. Let's look at uh, Hebrews 11. We're just going to skim through or, or go through, just highlight some of the examples of living faith 
that we see. Of course, Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. Verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. He's written about here. And he has something great prepared for him. As will be prepared for us as well as being prepared for us. Without uh, uh, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he can uh, he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. He believed what God said, even though he couldn't see it yet. It was over a hundred years off what God was talking about. But he trusted fully and took action and obeyed what God said to do. And there's no recording of doubt in that process. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed God when he was called to go to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, he couldn't see it. He couldn't understand why this had to happen. He didn't know where he was going. He was trusting and believing God. And putting his faith in God fully. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise in a foreign, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him, uh, with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. A city that he couldn't see. And he's written about here. Noah acted on God's word, on what he couldn't see. Abraham acted on what he couldn't see. Okay, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They didn't receive them. They never saw them. But they saw them afar off. They knew that what God said is real and that what his his word will happen. It will come to pass and they believed it. They were assured of them. Seeing them. Beyond the physical. Seeing the promises, believing the promises, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they have they desire a better that is a heavenly country, a country they couldn't see. They bet their life on it. They trusted every, they put everything on the line. Everything was on the line. They held nothing back and put full trust in God. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, 
was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction, to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He put his trust in God. Even though it would hurt. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches and then the treasures in Egypt, he looked to the reward. He saw something that helped him believe fully. It wasn't anything physical. It was the reward that was set before him. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He believed without seeing. With his eyes. He trusted God fully. And he's written about here. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled seven days. Do this seven days. Follow my directions. Yeah, but that, that makes no sense. Why would we do that? That makes no sense at all. Follow my directions, even though you can't see it. And I'll take care of this for you. They did it. They obeyed. And we know the story. And it's written about here. By faith, the harlot Rahab not, uh, did not perish with those who did not believe. When she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say for the time would fail me? To tell of everything. Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. Also David and Samuel and the prophets. Who through faith subdued kingdoms. Worked righteousness. Obtained promises. Stopped the mouths of lions. Quenched the violence of fire. Escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Why? Because that they might obtain a better resurrection. Because they saw something greater than what was in front of them. The torture and death that they faced. And they're written about here. This is the faith. That I want to have. This is the faith that we want to have. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. But, and they, they went through it. Because they believed fully. 
They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, slain with the sword. They were they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, with whom the world is not of whom the world is not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves in the earth. And all these having obtained a good testimony through faith. They didn't receive the promise yet. God having provided something better for us than that they should not be made perfect apart from us. This type of faith, verse one of Hebrews 11, this type of faith. To be sawn in two for. To be tormented for. This belief, this full, engaged trust in the Creator, in our God. Verse 1. This faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It was real, real to them. And should be real to us. The evidence of things not seen. That reward that was ahead of them, that was their evidence. That's what they held on to. That's what they grasped on to. That's what they focused on. Completely and fully. They acted on it. They surrendered fully. They obeyed the commands that they were given. Fully, because they trusted that God knows very best. He knows best. If they had doubt, they pushed it out. They didn't let it take over. They pushed it out of their hearts and their minds. <clears throat> Dr. Meredith, and uh, he, there's a sermon, uh, "The Sin of Unbelief" is the name of the sermon. In it, he gives a an equation, a mathematical equation, kind of like uh, our offertory this morning. Living faith equals active obedience. Which also equals godly love. Living faith equals active obedience. Active obedience. Surrendering to God. It's believing the gospel fully. The gospel of the coming kingdom of God. That it says in Romans and other places that it was preached to those in, in, that we read about in the Old Testament. And they believed it, as we read about in Hebrews 11 there. They believed it fully. What does it look like in our lives? What can it look like in our lives? Just some thoughts. You know, keeping the Sabbath command. Keeping the Sabbath command. Knowing that He will take care of us. If we run into a situation with a job. He will take care. 
full, unwavering faith that God knows best and He will take care. Tithing. Paying the tithes that, that, God, that are God's. And knowing that He says He will take care of us. He even says that He will to try me, He says in this. Tithes. Making the time for Bible study and prayer when it doesn't look like we have the time. But trusting that God will take care of the slack if we surrender fully to Him. He will take care of the slack for us. He will fill in the gaps for us. Wow! How could I possibly pray in the morning if... If I've got to be at work on time, he will take care of it. He will fill in the gaps. I'm going to lose my job if I, if I go to church today on the Sabbath. He will take care of it. He will fill in the gaps. How? You know what? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. How he does it. But he does. And we've all experienced different situations. And they're awesome to talk about. And fun to talk about. And fun to tell people about. And they build other people's faith. I know certain stories of you all's that are just faith building. I think about the parable of the Minas and the talents. And believing, you know, the indication is, and we're all familiar with it, we're not going to turn there, but the indication is that what we do now is preparation for or will determine our rewards in the kingdom of God. And I think, how much do I fully believe that? Because if I fully believed that, there would be certain, I wouldn't waste certain time that I waste. I would make certain changes that I'm trying to. We're all trying to. How much do I believe that what I do now is determining my, 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 the rewards in the kingdom of God. How much do I believe that? Because if I fully believed it, I'll just tell you, my life, I, I would, I, there would be changes in my life. Further, more, more changes. And like Dr. Meredith says, you know, we're not talking about, you know, going out and murdering and committing adultery here or anything. But I would make sure I'd really have a hold on my time and the way I spend it. I would make sure how I communicate with people is gracious and loving. I would make sure more. So that's what it looks like in our lives. 
How much do we believe that God's word is real, that we bet our lives, that we change our lives based on his word and on his truth? So we've looked at the leavening of unbelief, the sin of unbelief. We've looked at the unleavened bread of trusting and believing God and faith in our creator. Now we're going to look at one thing we can do in response to Dr. Meredith's urging us as a church to grow in faith between now and Pentecost. Dr. Meredith has, again, he's mentioned that we are on, as a church, on a crusade for faith. We want to grow in faith in God's church. And he's given us many keys, many different ways to do that. So we're going to look at uh, one thing. Before I do, I want to read a, a quote from Dr. Meredith. He says uh, an editorial the March, April 2016, our Passover attitude. It's the most recent one. He says, so we must do everything in our power to restore this aspect of apostolic Christianity. He is on a serious push. We are on a serious push, a real push. It's not far off and we don't want to wait. Till he comes. We want to do it now. Believe without seeing. Act without seeing. We must do everything in our power to restore this aspect of apostolic Christianity. We must begin collectively to cry out to God and to restore the depth of understanding and the depth of faith regarding healing and God's divine intervention in other ways. That the original apostles had. We must pray about this. We must fast about this. We must go on a campaign, dear brethren, so that God will begin to supernaturally heal more of our friends and loved ones in God's church at this time of the end. We know that terrible disease epidemics are coming because of this. It is even more imperative than ever, that God's people learn to have genuine faith that God can heal us if we turn to him with all our hearts. So. What can we do between now and Passover? And Pentecost. Let's turn to Mark nine. And verse 14. And nobody ever said no to the 430. Is that? I'm just kidding. All right, now let's see. Verse 14. When he came, uh, when he came to the uh, to the disciples. So Mark 9, verse 14. He saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him and greeted him. 
And he asked the scribes, what are you uh, discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who is a mute, who has a mute spirit. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and it becomes rigid. And I spoke to your disciples and they couldn't cast him out. They couldn't do it. And he answered and said, oh, faithless generation, why do you why do you doubt? Why? How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought him to him. And when they saw him immediately, the spirit convulsed him. An evil spirit in him convulsed him. And they felt and he fell to the ground and wallowed and foaming at the mouth. And he asked the father, so how long uh, has it been happening to him? And he said, well, since he's been a little kid. And often is and often is thrown him into the fire or the water trying to, to kill him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us, please. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father cried of the father cried out with tears. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me get rid of the doubt that I have. I can't understand how you can heal him. I don't understand it. I don't know how it can happen. Please help this unbelief that's in my mind. Get it out. Get the doubt out of my head, Lord. Please. And Jesus saw the people come running together and he rebuked the uh, unclean spirit and said, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. And the spirit cried out and convulsed him greatly. And he came out and he became his one dead. And many said, oh, he's dead. And Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when they came to the house, his disciples asked him privately, this is the faith that we want in the church of God. Real, living faith that Christ set the example for us with. Why could we not cast it out? We've done other ones. Why couldn't we cast this out? How can we grow in faith? In other words. We know it. We know what it says. Verse 29. And he said, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Here's the problem. We don't have enough faith. Not not us necessarily, but I'm just saying, in Church of God, we want more faith. Solution? Prayer and fasting. And asking God to give us His faith. The faith of Jesus Christ. Without doubting. Full trust. Fully believing. Believing without seeing. Believing God. Believing Christ. Prayer and fasting. If we want it, this is the solution. This is a part of it. A large part of it. Asking for it. Asking Him. Begging Him for it. In our personal own 
lives so that we can give over completely to Him and to Jesus Christ. And let Him do through us these works. So the one thing we can do between now and Pentecost, and, and I'm asking us as, as, as the Charlotte congregation, prayer and fasting, asking for God to give us faith, real living faith, that we have not experienced yet. Personally, for ourselves, asking for also the ministry. That God grant the ministry, the gifts of the Spirit. Verse, uh, uh, and then John 14, in closing. John 14. Some of these things are in God's timing. Though as many of us have experienced in life, God will sometimes wait for us to take the actions we need to take. And they're on our shoulders. John uh, 14. Interesting again, right around uh, the, the days of unleavened bread. We'll just read verse 12 and 13, or 12 through 14. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, the works that Christ set the example for, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do. Greater works than these. Whatever was written here, For our believing, for eternal life. He says we, in this work, the work that Mr. Dawson was talking about earlier, are going to do greater works than these. Because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Don't doubt. Push it out of the mind. Believe fully. Praying and fasting for God's giving of faith. So we've seen that unbelief is sin and evil. And one way of avoiding it is recognizing doubt and pushing that out. And we looked at why believing without seeing is so important for our eternal life. And finally, we looked at one action step that we can take between now and Pentecost in a very focused way. Take the time. Make the time for it. Personally. I want to be on that train. I want to be on that. I want, I want, to, I want to be there. As God's people, let's give ourselves over completely to believing God without holding back. Let's trust Him more than the physical of what we see around us.
How can it happen? I don't know. Let's trust him more than what we see around us. And let's believe without seeing.